Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. According to Johns Hopkins University, the death toll worldwide from COVID-19 pandemic has reached 300,000 people. However, different countries, they report things differently. So that is a rough figure, nonetheless. 300,000. As far as actual cases worldwide, it is something to the tune of 4.4 million. And World Health Organization, yes, the WHO, an official with them stated that the coronavirus, coronavirus, COVID-19, may never go away. It may never go away. Interesting. That is certainly a way to encourage people. I would say that person has the gift of encouragement, as it is called. But speaking of encouragers, Peter Navarro, White House advisor, recent White House advisor, very recent, He said the following, quote, a bill has to come due for China, meaning communist China. A bill has to come due for China. It's not a question of punishing them. It's a question of holding China accountable, the Chinese Communist Party accountable, end quote. Indeed, I'm glad that he did go on to say the Chinese Communist Party. He should have said, however, the Chinese Communist regime. He should have said Communist China. But he stated that we're up to close to $10 trillion. We, meaning the United States government, has had to appropriate to fight this battle. I am guesstimating that that is excluding expenditures by the states, expenditures by businesses, excluding all of the costs throughout the economy to the people of the United States of America. But I found it fascinating that the State Department, which has within its Realm, a global engagement center, that it made some statements concerning collaboration by Putin's Russian regime and Xi Jinping's communist Chinese regime, that they were collaborating to spread what they termed false narratives, in other words, lies (laughs) concerning the coronavirus pandemic, spreading these lies worldwide throughout their populations and beyond. Well, a couple of these statements, quote, 
Even before the COVID-19 crisis, we assessed a certain level of coordination between Russia and the PRC, People's Republic of China, so-called, in the realm of propaganda. Even before COVID-19 crisis, we assessed a certain level of coordination between Russia and the PRC in the realm of propaganda. And quote, this from the coordinator of the State Department's aforementioned Global Engagement Center. She went on to say, but with this pandemic, the cooperation has accelerated rapidly. These are direct quotes. We see this convergence as a result of what we consider to be pragmatism between the two actors who want to shape public understanding of the COVID pandemic for their own purposes. End quote. I'm going to come back to those quotes in a moment. But I thought it was fascinating that it was stated that (laughs) propaganda was somehow or other associated more with former communist Russia, with the Soviet Union and its successor, the Russian Federation, than it was with communist China. For instance, quote, Beijing is adapting in real time and increasingly using techniques that have long been employed by Moscow, end quote. Again, by this woman, Leah Gabriel, she is the coordinator of, again, the aforementioned State Department Global Engagement Center. What's wrong with these statements? Do you see anything? Do you hear anything wrong with those statements from the Global Engagement Center's coordinator in her capacity there at the State Department? My problem is this. (laughs) It starts with the very first word, even before the COVID-19 crisis, we assessed a certain level of coordination between Russia and the PRC in the realm of propaganda. First of all, it's not Russia. It's Putin's Russian regime. The PRC, you're using their language, the People's Republic. (laughs) Republic of China. It is communist regime. We assessed, even before that, we assessed a certain level of coordination. So, in other words, we assessed a level of coordination between the Russian dictatorship and the communist dictatorship of China. We recognized that even before this crisis. So, in other words, how far back does that go? We're talking very recent here in terms of how this is being worded. The president did not declare a state of emergency until two days after the WHO ever so belatedly declared a pandemic. So this is going back to, let's say, February, right? Back in February, 
January, we recognized that there was coordination between the Russian dictatorship, Putin's Russian regime, and the communist Chinese regime. (laughs) And that the pandemic, that merely accelerated it. And that it's because of pragmatism. You know, just pragmatism. And that they are creating their own false narratives about this. But then let's go on. Beijing is adapting in real time and increasingly using techniques that have long been employed by Moscow. What's wrong with that? Really, what at the root is wrong with that? This, it just astounds me the ignorance level of the highest officials in the Trump administration that have been betrayed by their statements time and again. It reminds me of the incredible, mind-bogglingly, stupendously stupid, criminal statements made by former press secretary Sean Spicer, whom the president carried for so long concerning Hitler and his Nazi regime compared to Bashar al-Assad's regime in Syria but, and chemical warfare. But this is fantastic. The idea that the current regime of Russia and the totalitarian regime and the current communist regime of mainland China, of China, mainland China, headed up by president for life, Xi Jinping, as compared to de facto president for life, Vladimir Putin, that they have just very recently, you know, in 2020, they have begun cooperating. Really? Let's just go back a little ways, you know? Just down memory lane. All of the communist Chinese regimes and all of the totalitarian regimes in Russia, including the former Soviet Union, have cooperated. And it has not been pragmatism. It's been that the ultimate enemy of them is the United States of America. Specifically, much more so than the mere free world, Western world. But communist China majored in propaganda for all of its existence and directly collaborated with the Soviet Union until the so-called fall of the Soviet Union. And since then, they have collaborated with the Russian regimes that followed. Maybe not so much so with Boris Yeltsin for his temporary period of time at the helm, but certainly with Vladimir Putin's totalitarian regime during the entirety of his reign. 
Oh, but no, this just happened in 2020. Oh, really? Stupendously stupid and stupendously ignorant, criminally ignorant for people in these positions. Positions like the Global Engagement Center of the State Department, of the U.S. State Department. Outrageously blind and ignorant. And not only that they are so blind and ignorant, and they are like the commander-in-chief, but then that they spread these untruths this misinformation, this disinformation of their own. (laughs) While they are decrying the misinformation and disinformation of communist China and totalitarian Russia. Just horrendous, absolutely horrendous. But... Speaking of the president, his best friend for life, one of them, after all, he has a few, including, of course, Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-un, communist dictator in charge of his family business communist regime of North Korea, and Xi Jinping, president for life of communist China. A couple of his BFFs, but Xi Jinping, who met with President Trump back early on here, it was, when was it? Oh, so recently. It was November 14th, 2019. Yes, not quite, but... It wasn't Trump and Xi Jinping. It was Putin and Xi Jinping meeting for the BRICS summit in Brasilia, Brazil. Now, Vladimir, I mean, he really is basically a BFF, too. You know, I didn't mention him as a BFF because it's these things, they have a way of fluctuating don't they? But he has been a BFF of President Trump. In Trump's, (laughs) Trump's announcements, Trump's view, you know, after all, he knows these people are just enamored with him. They love him. He schmoozes them. He charms them. His great charm offensive, just like George W. But Xi and Vlad, they were at that great meeting. But Xi, when he was meeting with the president, El Presidente Trump, he stated that the younger generation are the future of Sino-U.S. friendship. What's wrong with that statement? I mean, other than that it's coming from Xi Jinping, the head of the Communist Party, the head of the communist regime of China, President for life. What's wrong with that statement? He says that the younger generation, or you could say the youth generation, are the future of Sino-U.S. friendship. Is there 
anything wrong with that statement. Well, again, this just reminds me remarkably of Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler, who was, you know, nominated to be man of the year for Time Magazine and so forth, but Hitler, who famously said, you reach the young people and pretty soon you've got the world. That's a direct quote. You reach the young people and pretty soon you've got the world. You reach the least wise people. The future of America, the future of the world, the young people. You reach them, you control them, you command and control them because they are the easiest group, supposedly, to win over via What? Via indoctrination and propaganda. Adolf Hitler famously said, let me control the textbooks and I will control the state. Yes. And that is practiced by (laughs) the large, rich, powerful teachers unions and so forth. Let me control the textbooks and I will control the state. As he also famously, infamously stated, your child belongs to us already. What are you? What did dear old Adolf do? Well, we know, I mean, you know, the beginning of World War II. With the invasion of Poland. No, that wasn't the beginning. That wasn't the beginning. Taking over, annexing, seizing Austria, Czechoslovakia following, seizing Sudetenland. With the cooperation of the free world, mind you. Yes. and Rhineland and what have you before that. But that wasn't the beginning. Going back to January 1933, when he took control of Germany, he took total control. As soon as he was boss, he took total control. He expanded his control phenomenally. And he didn't need a pandemic to do it. He took over Germany. He took over the young people. He shut down, shuttered, closed the Christian schools. He required all youth to go to public schools. What's wrong with that? (laughs) What's wrong with that? And just several years later, these young people were in his army. They were his cannon fodder. So it goes. 
You know, part of the name of the Nazi party is Democratica. Democratica. Democrat. Haven't you found it fascinating? I mentioned in the previous program about how it is that those terrible, loathsome conservatives, especially Christian ones, that they are always typecast as being hawks, warmongers, so forth. But given opportunity like this pandemic, and what do you see? You see the Democrat governors... Democrat politicians seizing control, expanding their powers, exploiting executive orders left, right, and center, notoriously, infamously, the Michigan governor, one of the front runners to be the VP running mate for Joe Biden, the presumptive nominee. But that's right. The leftists, the socialists, shocking. I thought they were the party of love and tolerance and so forth, right? That's how they portray themselves. And nothing could be further from the truth. No, they instead believe in criminalizing godly behavior, such as worshiping God, praying in church services, that sort of thing. Now, mind you, they claim to be Christian, you know, when it is politically advantageous to do so. But, as I've said before, the table is set. This global pandemic, this worldwide COVID-19 pandemic, it has set the stage in a way that the left has been trying to engineer for so many decades. It has set the stage for massive regime change worldwide, except in the communist regime of China and the totalitarian regime of Russia and the Islamos, I don't know, should I call them Islamic or Islamo-fascist? See, Islam preceded fascism. So Islamo-fascism, even though it fits, really isn't ideal. It's just Islamist, you know? Good old-fashioned satanic Islam. These Islamist totalitarian regimes. These are not going to be shaken by this. But the free world, The Western world, former Christendom, massive regime change on the way. And even though experts could opine, could state, could imagine and espouse ideas that, well, the totalitarian regime of Russia and the communist regime of China, along with a little assist from the communist family business regime in North Korea, that they will get together and they will take over. That really doesn't fit with what we are told in the Bible. No, 
No, instead, what is shown, what is stated, and what is going to take place is that there is going to be a one-world regime which will be a successor of, another coming of. You could say a last Reich of the Roman Empire, Grecian Roman Empire, Macedonian Grecian Roman Empire. But, and whereas all of those previous empires The Chaldaic Babylonian Empire, succeeded by the Empire of the Medes and Persians, who swallowed up that empire, followed by the Macedonian Grecian Empire, which swallowed up that empire, and each time expanded a little, but they maintained all of the previous territory. Unlike that with the Roman conquest of what was left, the pieces of the Grecian Empire, following the fall, the death of Alexander the Great, and warfare between generals of his, these pieces were then taken over by the new boy on the block, the (laughs) up-and-coming, upstart Roman Empire, which was centuries in the making by itself. But they did not retain all of the territory that had been under the auspices of the previous empires. No, they didn't. They kept what they chose to keep, and they expanded westward, northward, northwestward. This coming regime, the reason that I mention that is because this coming regime, which will be preceded by the rising of 10 world leaders who are not currently world leaders. And then they will submit. Seven of them will. Three will be (laughs) disposed of. But they will submit to one leader who will rise. And who will gather together, fashion, cobble together the worst regime the world has ever known, which will be a reconstitution of the Roman Empire and or the Grecian Roman Empire. Before I continue, let me say this. I am Brad Thomas. And this is after all is said and done. And whatever is right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is lacking, erring, deficient, that is on me. That is due to me. That is my fault. But, Those (laughs) things that I mentioned, they are coming. You might think, oh, no, that's just, you know, metaphorical language, allegorical language. 
right? It's just, no. No, it's just poetic free verse or something. It's not really true prophecy of what's coming. That that is in the Bible, that is in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel in particular, but not exclusively in the book of Daniel by any means, and is in the New Testament, the book of Revelation in particular, but not exclusively. But, no, that's just fiction. You know, that's just fiction, right? That's that's not fact. If it is fact, it's not going to happen for many thousands of years. But instead, what's going to happen is we're going to have alien invasion from space. Or the United States of America, Canada, Mexico, Central America, Latin America, South America, on to all the rest of the continents. Eurasia and Africa and Australia. They will be hit by a number of comets and asteroids that will cause this world to come to an end. And the only people that will survive, if any survive, are people that have been sent to colonize Mars or other planets, or merely the moon, you know, just such, or maybe just some space stations or such things. Just, it's amazing what we foolish, ignorant, blind, sinful people choose to believe instead of believing the truth that has been borne out to be the truth over and over and over, down through many millennia. But we can, we can choose to reject the truth of God. So among these wonderful, inspiring (laughs) Democrat leaders, don't you love the way that the term inspire, inspired, inspiring, inspirational is just dallied around here, there, and the other place. It is to breathe life into, and only God does that, apart from artificial respiration. But this wonderful leader, governor of the great state of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, she has now stated that The Republican legislature is instituting a power grab. This after she has employed how many executive orders? I've lost track. It was more than 75 and counting. I thought it was at least 85 or more. But no, they are engaging in a power grab. Really? You know that old line, the pot calling the kettle black. Uh, It's just, but here, oh, she is so vice presidential, isn't she? She could be president right now. She is ready to be president right now, according to Joe Biden. 
along with, of course, many others. Yes, really outstanding. But again, she has massively increased her power, which is unconstitutional. But let's promote her and make her vice president. And then if Joe should, you know, be taken from the earth, then we would have Gretchen there. And it's just a wonderful qualification. You know, when you look at the presidents that have attempted to do the most damage, they have been notorious for their exploitation of executive orders. But back to Michigan. Yes, at the Capitol, there was protest in the rain by a group of approximately 200 people, supposedly. Now, I know that these kinds of numberings, counts, can be terribly manipulated. I know that from being in Washington, D.C. and being at the March for Life and there being more than a million people and the press annually always stated it was in the thousands. Always. And the press was right there. Their headquarters or their secondary headquarters in Washington, D.C., Headquarters in New York City or in Washington, D.C., and at least secondary headquarters in Washington, D.C. And they always, they didn't just understate the number. They didn't just, you know, err on the side of caution. They lied and lied and lied and lied and have gone online. Meanwhile, then you have the black gangster march, the million man march, and they just keep repeating this mantra about the million man march. So I know how these things are distorted and exploited. The indoctrination and the propaganda that has been spewed across America by the major media elites for so very, very long. So when it says 200 Yeah, probably 20,000, but maybe it was only 200. In any case, what were they protesting about? They were protesting in demonstration against the aforementioned Michigan governor's state-ordered stay-at-home orders. But, of course, they are the problem, not the governor, right? Meanwhile, again in Michigan, Carl Mankey, 77 years young. You've probably heard this elsewhere, seen this elsewhere. But this fellow, he's been a barber for 60 years in Owasso, Michigan. Well, he reopened his barber shop on May 4th, and he refused to close pledging to keep his doors open until police arrested him or Jesus walked in. <laughs> well, I don't think Jesus is going to be going to a barber shop for a haircut, but I, I like the imagery in any case. Of course, the wonderful Democrat powers that be, they wanted him to be ordered to shut down. But a judge refused to sign an order 
to shut down his shop without first having a hearing. What a novel idea, you know, (laughs) to refuse to issue such an order until having a hearing. Well, that certainly doesn't fit with the Democrat Party. So what happened? Democrat state regulators under the authority of the governor, they suspended Mr. Mankey's barbershop license. His lawyer, his attorney, stated the following, that, quote, this is an abuse of power. This constitutes an abuse of power. I think it's totally vindictive. It's petty. It's totally in retribution because they didn't like the court order from earlier this week. Well, (laughs) yes, it's petty. Yes, it's vindictive. But what it's really about is it's, again, attempting to have a chilling effect to cause people to fear to oppose the unconstitutional use of powers by the powers that be at the head of the government of Michigan. Whom again, (laughs) the Democrat Party under the presumptive nominee may grace with being the running mate of the president. In the previous program, I made reference to a monstrous, vicious, murderous attack of six Hasidic Jewish men, Hasidim, at a rabbi's house who were celebrating Hanukkah. Five of the men were wounded in addition to a sixth man whose skull was split open with a machete blow. This big, strong man of color broke into the house, committed home invasion, attacked all six of them with this foot-and-a-half-long machete. And the man who was put in a coma, he died. And the man who committed this crime is thought to have attacked, brutally attacked, a rabbi sometime before that. On the streets. But meanwhile, he is charged with second degree murder because that occurred in New York State, and New York State is the capital of second degree murder. No matter how vicious, how monstrous, how intentional, (laughs) it is virtually always starting at no higher place than second-degree murder. And then it can be pled down from there. But first-degree murder? No, unless it's a mob hit, it's second-degree, always.
in New York State. That great state. But meanwhile, in Pittsburgh, a federal judge, Donetta Ambrose, senior district judge, she rejected a request by, a demand by the legal team, the current legal team, of a destroyer who committed mass murder at a Pittsburgh synagogue. She rejected this demand that capital punishment not be available as a sentencing option. She rejected that. How draconian of this judge. No. Well, in her ruling, she stated, that in a threesome of rulings that courts have consistently upheld the constitutionality of the death penalty. But this destroyer, Robert Bowers, lawyers, headed up by Judy Clark, They held otherwise. But again, the senior district judge, Ambrose, stated that they had not identified a single case holding that the federal death penalty is unconstitutional. Indeed. (laughs) But defense lawyer Judy Clark, what a champion of justice she is. She has made the same arguments in one horrendous, monstrous murder case after another. Who are some of her high-profile clients? All the likes of Ted Kaczynski, famously known as the Unabomber. And he happened to enter a plea agreement. Had his lawyers do that. He agreed to that. They entered a plea agreement which spared this merciless man of suffering the death penalty. Oh, that's justice, isn't it? And meanwhile, she is appealing the death sentence of one of the two brother Zarnaev, Boston Marathon bombers, Islamists. Yes. But, again, a wonderful woman, this Judy Clark, who has prostituted herself to defend these terrible, heinous murderers and to insist, to claim and insist that the death penalty is unconstitutional. Well, Bowers murdered 11 who were at the Tree of Life synagogue back in October 2018. But, meanwhile, speaking of courts further, but moving, (laughs) moving on down to Columbia, South Carolina, I mentioned this, I do believe, 
I know I did in the previous program, but it bears mentioning again, the South Carolina Supreme Court unanimously overturned an attempted murder conviction of a gangbanger who shot, critically injured, paralyzed a precious young woman, Martha Childress, a student at University of South Carolina, paralyzed her for life, critically injured her. It's only because of the modern wonders of medicine that she's alive. But the court found that felony attempted murder is not a recognized crime in South Carolina. So, he will be retried. Because he wasn't trying to murder her, he was trying to murder someone else. And therefore, there's no crime. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that outstanding legal reasoning? Hmm. Isn't it? It's like the legal reasoning in that case from South Dakota, where a 17-year-old destroyer had an argument with a lovely, foolish 16-year-old girl whom he had brought to South Dakota, to Sturgis, from Wyoming. She thought it was something, going to be something so romantic and wonderful. He argued with her. He went and got a handgun, came back, shot her point-blank range in the head. But he was charged with second-degree murder, but it was pled down. It was pled down to first-degree manslaughter. And a requirement of that, a condition of that, was that he did not intend to kill her when he shot her in the head. Again, every party to that plea agreement had to engage in absolutely flagrant, blatant, brazen dishonesty. They all committed perjury in reaching that agreement. The prosecution team, yes, the defense team and the judge, all engaged in perjury in order to reach that finding, that ruling, that decision, that judgment, that miscarriage of justice. Meanwhile, in Chester, Pennsylvania, a lovely college town I have been in, Sincere Parker was shot to death, a seven-year-old boy. He was found with gunshot wounds, plural gunshot wounds, multiple gunshot wounds to his face. 
on a Sunday evening. He was lying in the middle of the street and died on the scene. Local residents stated that two cars came down and just rang out about 15 shots. This was the 14th murder in Chester, this lovely college town it is. The 14th murder in 2020. But it's quite something what these gangs these gangbangers can do to destroy a community. This little seven-year-old boy, seven years of age, Sincere Parker, he'd finally gotten to go outside and play, and this is what happened to him. Meanwhile, Are they going to say that that was accidental and therefore no crime? Right? They didn't mean to murder the little boy. They were just trying to murder each other. In Jacksonville, Florida, a five-year-old girl, I don't know what the pronunciation of this first name is. It's so creatively spelled, but I'll just say Kara. Something like that. Kara Addison, she was sitting with her family in their car on Monaco Drive when four thugs, again, black gangbangers, got engaged in doing a beatdown on one person. And then there was gunfire And bullets struck her family vehicle, and she was shot in the head. Hey, it was accidental. What crime? Well, they have charged one of these gangsters with second-degree murder and attempted first-degree murder. Well, I don't know. Is there such a thing as attempted murder? First-degree murder. After all these judges, they said there is no such thing as attempted second-degree murder up in Georgia. Or was it South Carolina? South Carolina. Pardon me, Georgia. But this is in Jacksonville, Florida. So perhaps they recognize such things there. And all of this was over $180, but I'm sure you are familiar with cases where people... Children, young people, have been murdered for a dollar or two, or adults have, or for a T-shirt, or for a pair of shoes. But, of course, with the price tags of Nike, Air Jordans, and so forth, that can mean hundreds of dollars. But, meanwhile, in Cleveland, Ohio, a man of the prime age of 36... He walked through a gas station property shooting at people, and he murdered an 81-year-old man. How did they happen to catch up with him, the police? How did they? Well, a witness followed the shooter from the gas station. Very brave thing to do. 
but he shot this 81-year-old man several times in the head and body while he sat in his car, I do believe. But it was one of four that happened in a day and a half span of time in Cleveland, in the great state of Ohio. And meanwhile, in Texas, a good Samaritan, he saw a woman in duress. A man who supposedly was with her pulled a gun on her at the Deerbrook Mall in Humble, Texas. And Brian Marksbury, he went after him. And Brian did not have a gun, nothing to defend himself with. And this fellow murdered him. He was later caught by police. But this father, this husband, is gone. And for what? I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you. Thank you.